The Dugout CEO Podcast is on the air. I'm Phil Van Horn, baseball lifer and fan of the Dugout CEO. Each week, Casey Cavell goes around the horn with baseball superstars, Hall of Fame coaches, and business leaders who've used baseball experience to win the game of life. Now batting, Casey Cavell. Dugout Nation, welcome to the Dugout CEO Podcast. Fired up about today's show. We are joined by Cade Griffiths, who is the founder and CEO of DBAT Sports, a company that provides a quality teaching environment with professional instruction to enhance the baseball and softball experience for players at all levels and will help them reach their goals. DBAT has over 150 franchise locations, and as a former multi-unit developer and owner of five DBAT locations, they are truly an all-star organization. Cade, welcome to the Dugout CEO. Thanks, Casey. Good to see you again. Yeah, likewise. You're one of my first business mentors and have met, you know, just meant a ton to me in my life. And uh, it's just super good to have you on the show. I was actually thinking about this morning driving to work uh, the night you uh, you, you, you uh, stayed at my house first time we met. Yeah, it takes a lot to uh, trust somebody that quickly, but we kind of hit it off right away and your love for baseball and business and life and mine as well. And uh, just super cool and cool to uh, circle back after all these years. That sure is. Well, tell me more, you as a baseball guy. Everybody knows you as a CEO of DBAT and what you've built there, and we're going to talk about that in a little bit. But you as a baseball guy, how would you fall in love with the game? And talk about you as a player first. You know, I, I grew up in Louisiana, and, and uh, my, my, my dad was a, was a ball player. And, and you know, I, I don't know. I just had this you know, drive as a young kid, I would, I'd go outside and we had a, we had a, you know, we kind of lived in the country. So I'd go outside and I'd, I'd, I'd hit a ball all the way across the, the field and walk over and get it and hit it back. And I just kind of played with myself really. Uh, my, my brother who actually works for me, uh, was a, was more of a football player. He, he didn't, uh, he didn't, uh, want to go out the yard and play with me that much. And, I think I wore the I wore everybody out in the neighborhood and my brother because that's all I wanted to do was play wiffle ball and baseball. But I just had a you know deep you know deep love for it. And and growing up in the in the in the South, you know, all we got on TV was either WGN, which was the Cubs, or TBS, which was the Braves. And so I I, I grew up as a huge Braves fan and uh, uh, just watching them on TV and watching Harry Carey as well on on uh, the WGN network. And uh, I just remember, you know, as a kid falling asleep on the floor watching, you know, Cubs and the Braves play. Uh, but I just, I just had a, you know, deep love for it. And, and uh, uh, I was lucky enough, you know, when I moved to Texas when I was a sophomore in high school and I ended up, uh, I actually signed to play college football first. And, and uh, right before uh, uh, I was supposed to report my freshman year that summer, I ended up uh, deciding I wanted to I wanted to pursue baseball, and uh, uh, went to junior college for a year, and uh, I had a, a really good year. Uh, was a was an All American freshman All American in JUCO, and then ended up at Dallas Baptist, and and I, you know, got to play all all the big you know Big Twelve back then it was called the Southwest Conference. Played all those schools, Rice and Texas and A and M and Baylor and all them, and. Uh, was lucky enough uh, to uh, uh, sign with Kansas City and went on to play play pro ball. And it's just been, you know, it's one of those things. Baseball is one of the hardest sports to give up. That's why you have a lot of men's league baseball teams and you have softball, you know, uh, softball, uh, you know, they, they even have, uh, someone told me the other day they were on an over 60 baseball team. I was like, over 60? Uh, uh, I, I, I wish I could uh, run the bases when I'm, when I'm 60, but, uh, it's just, it's just that one sport, you know, you don't see old football players still playing football, you know, and it's that one sport. I think it's just, it gets in your blood. That's hard to give up. Yeah. Um, so Dallas Baptist, I know you had a heck of a career over there. Anything that, uh, kind of jumps out at you, amazing games or anything like that? Yeah. Yeah. I had, I, I had a few, um, uh, well, and I, probably the best double header ever had was when I was in JUCO. I, I, I hit uh, three home runs and had 
18 RBIs and I threw a one hit shutout and I was a I was national player of the month one time so that was a, that was a pretty good weekend uh, and uh, but at DBU probably the uh, the the couple that stick out is obviously the one I I hit four home runs and four at bats and uh, and tied the uh, national NCA record and was on a uh, uh, US USA Today wrote an article about it and I'll tell you a, a, a kind of a funny story about that. Uh, no one had, had ever hit five in a row in five at bats. Uh, there was a guy a few years ago that hit five home runs in one game, but he had, I think he had nine at bats. It was like 28 to something, uh, the score, but, uh, but he didn't hit, he didn't hit them in a row. I think he popped out his third at bat or something, but, um, and, uh, so I, I show up to the park the next day and all these news cameras were in the outfield and they were, they were raising the towers above the outfield wall and, and there was news vans. There was probably about I don't know five or six news vans. And for DBU, that was kind of a big deal back then. You know, they uh, we were we were uh, uh, <clears throat> we were a small school and wasn't you know we didn't get the press that you know University of Texas or A&M got. But so this was kind of a big deal. And uh, in my first at bat, uh, uh, I probably hit the hardest ball. Uh, I had hit uh, for that weekend, including, you know, harder than any of the four home runs I hit. And I hit a line shot dead center, and we had a pretty tall wall, and it ended up, it just didn't have enough backspin on it. It ended up hitting about the middle of the middle of the wall. And I remember, uh, I, thought it, I thought I hit it out, and so I kind of pimped it, was jogging a little bit. So I had to pick it up, and I had to slide it in second, and it was a play it, play it second. Slid in safe, and I remember I pumped my fist, you know, because uh, it was in the first inning. I drove a, drove a run in, and uh, and next thing I hear, I start hearing all this noise, and all the towers started lowering, and <laughs> and 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 I ended up getting the third on the next batter. And there was a big hill uh, at DBU that when you drive out of the stadium, you go up this hill, and I saw all the news vans just driving up the hill, and I thought to myself, Golly, I just hit the hardest ball I've ever hit, and you know, they don't even want an interview. I mean, it was like, well, you didn't do it. Let's get out of here. You know, uh, uh, so uh, I didn't get, I didn't, uh, I didn't get any praise for that, for that, that line drive double. Really cool. So obviously a huge baseball guy, a fan, a player, uh, and then turned it into a professional career and then leaving professional baseball. Talk to me about the journey from being a professional baseball player to owning your own academy and turning that into DBAP. Yeah. Uh, well, uh, pro ball was was was, uh, was was a little bit of a culture shock for me to be honest with you. Um, well, first off, I you know I, I signed as a as a third baseman. I was a I was a guy in college that was a I was good in a lot of positions, but a master at none. Uh, I should have been a catcher my entire career, but unfortunately, my sophomore year at DBU, I was uh, my roommate was Jason Larue, who you know 11 year big leaguer behind the plate, so I was kind of a the backup catcher, but you know they needed me in the lineup. I was the you know three or four hole hitter, so I played right field. And uh, and um, and the next year, I thought when Jason got drafted, he was older than me. I thought, well, this is going to be my year to catch, and I'll be darned. We signed Brandon Harper, who ended up being a you know second round draft pick by the Marlins, who had maybe the best arm I'd ever seen. And uh, uh, so, uh, I, but I, I did get to catch. You know, 10 or 12 games a year or so, but I was, I was, you know, mainly the starting right fielder, but I played third, I pitched and played first base. And I kind of, like I said, I was, I was, I was, I was okay at a lot of positions, but a master at none. But when I signed to play third base, I, I, I remember I told the, I told the uh, manager, I was in Spokane, Washington and low A ball. I said, I'm, I'm the worst third baseman in the, in the history of, of Kansas city signing a third baseman. I'm not a third baseman. I'm either I'm, I'm, I'm an outfielder, but I'm really a catcher. And uh, the roving catching instructor came in town, and I asked him if I could work out with. He he had early work with our three catchers, and he uh, he told me to grab some gear. And I remember I went to the clubby, and we had there was no gear that matched. I had a blue chest protector with black shin guards. That was all he could uh, scrounge up. And after that workout, he went to our manager and said, "Kate is now a catcher. Uh, I want him to start catching." bullpens and warming up the pitchers and, and stuff. So I, I caught bullpens for about 20 straight games. That's uh, the longest in my life I, I went without was sitting the bench. And I got a couple pinch hits here and there, and I think I DH'd a couple games. But uh, 
I ended up catching, and it was kind of a weird deal. I, uh, my my uh, first game catching in Spokane, I caught a I caught a uh, perfect game. Uh, Jordy Zimmerman, left-handed pitcher, threw a perfect game, and uh, I was told that ball they actually put that ball in uh, in Cooperstown. Uh, it's in a section, minor league section or whatever in Cooperstown. But uh, and after that game, I got called into the uh, skipper's office, and I honestly thought I was getting released, and so did so did uh, the guys were sitting next to me in my, the locker that was next to me. And when I came out of the meeting, uh, I remember Jeremy Hill. Uh, big time catcher uh, and all the catchers set together because our lockers were a little bigger, you know, for our equipment. And he put his hand on me and said, man, are you okay? Is everything all right? They all thought I was getting released. And I said, yeah, I'm fine. I'm, I'm getting moved up. So I got moved up halfway through the season after catching one game in Spokane. I got moved up to Lansing, Michigan. Their catcher had uh, broke his thumb and uh, I ended up catching uh, around 30 games in a row. Matter of fact, my hand was so bruised because uh, I was I was doing I was catching left-handers like this. I I didn't know how to turn my glove and and uh, and we ended up winning the Midwest League and and funny enough, I became a prospect because I was not a prospect. I was uh, you know they didn't have any money invested in me. I wasn't a you know top five-round draft pick or anything. And uh, instantly became a prospect. I got invited to Instructs. If you know anything about that, they invite the uh, you know, basically the top four players at every position. So uh, I, I got invited to go straight to Instruct. So I went from college ball playing, a, you know, 100, 100 games to minor league ball, and then I had to go straight into Instructs, and then I went straight into spring training. That was a that was a rough that was a rough uh, 18 months, I will tell you. Uh, but uh, Instructs was was eye opening. But the, the 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 thing that was really a culture shock for me in, in pro ball was. Coming from DBU, we were family, team, uh, obviously Christian facility, or Christian college, and uh, I, I wasn't used to the, uh, um, you know, every man for himself, and you don't really want your own teammates to do well, you know, because you're, you're trying to move up, you know, and, uh, you know, we, I was all about the win. I wanted to win the game, you know. I didn't care who, who got the winning hit. And I and I and I had one of my teammates actually explain that to me and said, if you're not selfish, you're not going to make it. He actually made that comment to me, and I. So that was the part of pro ball I, I really didn't like uh, that much, and uh, that and the money. Uh, I remember my first paycheck was after they took out taxes and clubby dues was two hundred and thirty-eight dollars for two weeks, and I, I just you know I got to the point you know so I ended up I was in spring training and I actually uh, I hurt my First time I'd ever been injured, I hurt my arm. My arm was, I think I just had some inflamed, whatever, tendons in my arm. So I, they wanted to shelf me for a few weeks at the end of spring training, and but I, I was still hitting. I was DHing, and I had the best spring training of my life. I, I ended up, I led the organization in doubles. I think I hit 14 doubles in spring training. And uh, uh, when it got time to release the teams, I, th I thought I was going to, uh, I was on the AAA team pretty much the whole time in spring training. I, I thought I was going to get put in double A. And when they released the double A team, they told me I was going to be an extended spring training because of my injury. And I absolutely did not want to do that. And uh, probably the only thing in my life, Casey, I ever quit. And uh, so I went upstairs and I talked to Bob Hagman, who was a, who was a, a, man, a general manager of minor league baseball, head of minor league baseball, and told him I was hanging it up. He tried to talk me out of it. Uh, and I, I, I just, uh, I just made my mind up. Honestly, it was, it was about the money. Uh, I needed to, I needed to work and it was, it was tough to survive on, you know, bringing home less than 500 bucks a month, uh, at the time. And, um, um, he, uh, he did me a huge favor. He told me, he said, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to release you because if you quit, we don't, we don't pay your way home. Uh, so he gave me a release and, Went back to uh, Dallas, and uh, I remember driving on the way from Fort, Fort Myers, Florida, all the way to Dallas. It was about 20-something hours, and thinking, what in the world am I going to do? I've, you know, I've never done anything other than worked in the oil field a little bit in, in the summer and, uh, and played baseball. And, and um, about three weeks after I got home, the Cincinnati Reds called me. They had a position open in, in, uh, in uh, uh, AAA, and uh, I asked him to give me a week or so to think about it. And I ended up 
not pursuing it. And, and, uh, and I, honestly, I, is, uh, I started DBAT and, and, and I was, I had it in my mind. I was, I was already working on it, looking at real estate, trying to figure out how to do it. And, uh, and interesting enough, uh, uh, about six months after I started DBAT, I got a call from Bob Eggman, uh, the guy from Kansas City and offered me the hitting job the next year. And, uh, in, uh, in, in Spokane, which is where I played. And that, that was a dream of mine. I was like, oh my gosh, I had to turn it down. And I told him, I said, I, I have a commitment. I, mo I moved my brother here to Dallas uh, to start this business with me. I've signed a lease that, I, that I'm personally guaranteed on. And I, and I just could not do it. The timing could not have been worse. If, if he'd have called me months before, I would, that would have, it would have been interesting how my life would have probably changed, you know, but sure. Anyway. So, so that's what, 1998, you start DBAT, you call your brother, you get him in Texas, you get this thing going. Talk to me about one first, just for the listeners that don't know, what is DBAT? And then talk to me about the early years of your first location and then going from an instructor to, you know, owning it to franchising it and so on. Yeah, so I, I actually talk about this a little bit in my book, but I, I thought I invented the idea and I was, I was, uh, I was devastated to find out. Uh, it was a high school kid that I coached in the summer. Who's now interesting enough? He works for me here in the corporate office. He's our construction manager, Travis Slayton. Uh, he's been with us for since day one. But uh, when he was a high school kid, he he told me he goes, "Oh, that that already exists. There's a baseball academy in Addison," and I actually had him take me to it because I wanted to see it. And when I, I remember when I walked in, I was I was honestly devastated. I was like, "Oh my gosh." I, I, I had this idea in my head, even in high school, that I wanted to do this. And, um, uh, but it was, you know, it was awesome because I got to meet, meet Steve Adair, the owner. I ended up uh, working for him and uh, uh, unfortunately he got cancer and he sold it to a, uh, a customer who owned a huge carpet company, great guy, uh, but uh, he ran it as a hobby. And so I got to see Steve run a baseball academy really with an iron fist and then I got to see a guy run it uh, that was, was very passive and ran it as a hobby and had his two sons working and working the front desk and all that and uh, matter of fact I used to do when I do presentations my first slide used to say this is not a hobby and if you're 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 gonna own one of these you're thinking you're gonna own one of these and run it as a hobby or you have an alternative motive to try to get your kid an upper hand with a high school coach or select coach or whatever this is not the job for you uh, so, uh, yep, I called my brother and asked him if he would do this with me. And shockingly enough, he quit his job. He had a really good job in Wichita Falls, Texas, and moved in my one bedroom apartment. We started looking for real estate and, uh, found a building and, and, uh, kind of went on from there. So, I mean, that's, that was, uh, uh, we ended up opening in, uh, November of 98. So in November of 98, the first couple of years, you're, doing what in the business? Because I think a lot of our listeners, they, they could be, you know, a business owner where they own one location of a business or they have a million dollar business or a 5 million, but they have a 10 or a $20 million vision, or they're running the day to day. And they're like, okay, I don't want to be the person doing the same thing today that you know, I'm doing a year from now. Like I want to build a team. I want to expand. I want to grow. How did you go from one location to two locations and beyond? And what did that process look like? You know, I, uh, uh, right before I opened up, I went and met with Steve Adair. He was, he was pretty sick at this time, but, uh, and I told him what I was going to do and I'll never forget what he said. He said, uh, well, you better build a shower inside there cause you're going to live it. And man, was that an understatement? Uh, my, my wife still to this day makes a, makes a joke that, uh, our neighbors thought I was a myth. Uh, they, they didn't even think I existed, uh, because I would get home late at night after they were in bed and I would leave early in the morning before they, they got up. And, and I'll tell you, I, I, I lived it for, for the first couple of years, seven, you know, seven days a week, every day, you know, uh, uh, we're, our busiest days are on holidays, you know, so it wasn't any holidays or any trips or anything like that. And, uh, uh, you know, I always kind of refer back to, I know Casey, you're a fan of uh, the show Shark Tank, uh, but I, uh, I'll never forget there was a guy on the show and he was, uh, uh, had a, I think it was a cupcake company or something, and he was wanting to franchise it. And Mark Cuban asked the guy, "Well, how is how is the, you know, the mothership location, your, your original location? What are the numbers you're doing at that location?" He goes, "Oh, I haven't I haven't done a location yet." 
and Mark Cuban said, I'm out. He goes, if, if, if you're going to, if you're going to franchise something, you got to get in the weeds and, and, and you got to know it. And, and, and really those first, you know, those first 10, 11 years, my brother and I ran our single location. I, I really feel like we, we, you know, we have a doctorate in, in, in baseball academies, right? Uh, um, we, uh, we, we probably, you know, we know everything that could go wrong and might go wrong and, and all that. And I, and, and, and I do think that's a good reason people need to think about when they're, if they're buying a franchise. Don't, don't buy a franchise because of all the great things the company is going to tell you to do and they've done. Buy it because uh, you want to hear the things that they did wrong. You, uh, you buy a franchise to not make the same mistakes that the franchisor made and, and waste money in marketing or, or ideas that they tried. We, we tried it all. I mean, we, 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 we wasted a lot of money over the years and, and made a lot of mistakes. And, uh, but, you know, uh, you know, putting the franchise system together, you don't want your franchisees to make those same mistakes. So we, we ran the single location for, like I said, 11 years. We knew we wanted to expand. We didn't know how we were going to. Um, we looked at different options, uh, you know, licensing, franchising, and uh, venture capitalist office options, and we, we figured out franchising was the best route for us and uh, 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 to go. So we started, uh, we filed for our FDD, I believe, in, in, in uh, late 08, and uh, opened our first, uh, I think, three franchises in, in, in early 09, and, and uh, been going, 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 uh, going balls to walls ever since. So those first few franchises, because I think the most important thing you do, whether you're a franchise business or you're a non-franchise business and you're recruiting people to join your brand or join your company is bring in the right people, whether it's an employee or it's a franchisee or whatever. What advice do you have for people that are looking to grow and expand their business to make sure they pick the right partners and right people to be in business with? And Casey, that is a that's a that's a million dollar question. You know, when we when we first started, I, I remember telling myself we're going to be very picky about who our owners are. Um, you know, making sure there's no alternative agenda. You know, there's a lot of people out there that that have you know uh, that can that can raise or have five hundred thousand or so in cash that can open up a baseball academy. There's a lot of people out there, uh, but they they're also uh, um, you know. You got to make sure that that the their, the alternative motives are, are, are aligned with with our, with our values as well. So, um, and I would I, the advice I would give is you, you got to be extremely picky, uh, especially on your first ones. Now, I, I, I have made a few mistakes in, in over the last uh, 13 years of franchising, uh, but I've only made about three of those. And uh, as far as picking, you know, uh, ownership groups. But uh, and you will make you'll make some of those mistakes, but it's it's, it's pretty vital not to make those mistakes early because uh, you don't want closures and and uh, uh, you know and a lot of times closures don't happen because of the of the system uh, closures happen because of bad management or uh, they lose interest right uh, so uh, it's, it's extremely uh, uh, important to pick pick your pick the right franchisees and. And, you know, and to pick your partners. I mean, we've, we've been fortunate here. Most, you know, most of the staff here or a lot of the staff here has been with us forever. And having my brother really kind of you know, working side by side, you know, if you can't trust your brother. You can't trust anybody. Right. So, uh, but yeah, it's, it's, that's a great question, Casey. And it's very important. And people need to understand that. So let's talk about the family dynamic a little bit. You called your brother. He was your first call. What was it that, and I guess, what was it about Kyle that, led you to say, hey, I want to call him. Was it just because he was your brother and you could trust him, or did he have a different skill set than you? What did that look like? 100% he had a different skill set than me. He, he, uh, he is, uh, you know, I call him the wire nerd. He, you know, he's, he, he understands, you know, the computers and software and technology. And, and uh, he had a retail background. He worked at a, a, a car audio a home theater retail store. I had no retail background. I was the baseball guy. Matter of fact, I, I used to tell people I, I I took care of the back of the house, you know, the, the the lessons and the camps and the instructors and all that. And he he took care of the front of the house, uh, the pro shop and the the you know financial part of the business and and all that. So it would it, it couldn't it wasn't just because he was my brother and I could trust him. And I mean that that obviously helped. But you couldn't find a better a better a 
a better match. And plus, our personalities are are are, are, are pretty uh, opposite, actually. I mean, he's he's my older brother, and a lot of people get kind of shocked at that when they hear that because they think I'm older because I'm I'm kind of more the I'm the no guy. I'm the I'm the I'm the you know good cat uh, bad cop good cop guy, and, and everybody loves Kyle. He's Norm. Uh, he he has a hard time saying no to anybody, and uh, and uh, so it, it it makes a great uh, you know a great partnership because uh, uh, you know a lot of times I'm the I'm the I'm the guy that uh, is a sense of reason when it comes to certain things and and uh, and you know over the 25 years this is our 25th year in business together uh, I can literally only think of, of two two maybe three arguments we've been in in, in 25 years and and by the way our first big argument was uh, he took my book from the front desk where we used to have a scheduling book like they used to back in old dentists and doctor's offices where you'd write your name in the, the 30 minute slot and people would book out and he wanted to get rid of the book and he, he bought a computer for the front desk and we were going to do our scheduling on, on the computer. And I was like, absolutely not. This is not how we did that. You know, and I couldn't have been more wrong uh, about that, by the way. So, uh, yeah, it's been, it's been a, uh, uh, it's, it's been a great ride with him. So it's interesting because you guys are very different, which I think is really important for anybody in business that don't go into business with your best friend because you can trust him and you like him. Go into business with your best friend because you try, trust him, you like him, but they're also different than you. They bring something different to the table. But I often, often find that when you bring other people in that are different, arguments do happen. There is tension. But you had three arguments in X amount of years. Like, How did you guys create such a great working environment? It, you know, it's a great question. I, I, I have to probably give Kyle the credit for this because I, I'm I'm more the hothead. Uh, I'm 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 uh, I'm the probably more the competitor uh, of the uh, of the two of us. And uh, and him being the older brother, I'm sure it's kind of hard sometimes when your little brother is you know is 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 uh, uh, getting on to you or, or or getting in an argument with you. Because uh, I mean, you, you you know Kyle Casey. He's He's one of the strongest human beings ever. He could probably hit me on top of the head and break my ankles. So uh, 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 luckily, he's, uh, he, he's he's never done that. So I, you know, his temperament and personality is what makes this work. Is that he's he's able to you know check his ego, and I'm and 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 sometimes uh, little brother, I may cross, I may even cross the line sometimes and get a little uh, demanding with him, and. Uh, but that's the only way it works because if you have two people with my personality, Casey, it, it just flat, like you said, it would not work. Uh, and if you had two people with Kyle's personality, to be honest with you, it probably wouldn't work that way either. So uh, it, it just couldn't be a better, couldn't be a better fit. And I think one of the other things you, I asked you advice, gosh, this was probably 10 years ago. I said, you know, what advice would you give to a 28 year old Cade when I was 28? And you said, you know, some things just aren't that big of a deal. And I wrote that down and I have it here on my wall. And I think that probably helps you guys too, because it's like, you know what? All right, this broke, this wasn't right. We messed up here, this happened. You know, all right, let's learn, let's grow, let's improve, let's not let this boil over. So I think it's probably both of your mentality and mindset helps as well. You know, it's, I mean, it's actually really good advice just in life in general. I mean, it, even in a marriage, right? I mean, so, uh, you know, sometimes you look back at some arguments with your with your spouse and you're like, man, that was stupid. I mean, it's just life's too short. I mean, there's a, you know, there's, there's, I remember Casey, you were, you were a young, fiery entrepreneur. And I remember, I, I remember saying that to you. Hey, there's some things you just got to let go. It's just, it's just not worth it. It's just not worth the fight. And, and, and you're going to make mistakes. People with our personality that are entrepreneurs at heart and they're, they're go, go, go. Uh, you know, I, I remember I had a guy that worked for me who was, who was for years and he was, I called him a bean counter. I mean, he was so methodical. And, uh, you know, there's, there's, there's two people I want around me in my life that are methodical. And that's, uh, you know, that's, that's my, my, my doctor and, and, and my lawyer. Uh, other than that, uh, uh, I don't want really methodical people uh, to work for me. I, uh, I I told him one time. I said, you know, he, he uh, when he would take an order over the phone. I mean, he was dotting the i's and crossing the t's. He'd take, you know, 30 minutes on the phone with somebody that's ordering, you know, three bats. And and I and I told him, I said, hey, I could do 10 deals by the time you do one. And and you know what? I'm I will I'll screw up on a couple of them, 
but eight of them I hit home runs on. And I would rather you do 10 deals a day, screw up on two of them, than do one deal a day and it's perfect. Uh, you're never going to grow with that mentality and, uh, and, and, and uh, with that mindset. And, uh, and, you know, that's why, you know, sales guys, a lot of, a lot of the great sales guys, they're, you know, some people call them a little slimy or, or, or snaky or whatever, but it's because they're, they're go, they're go, go, go and move into the next, you know, the, the, the next deal. And, uh, and you, you can't just sit and loom on one deal and, 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 and be successful by being methodical. I, I think, I think a lot of smart people, uh, get around to doing nothing all day. And, uh, and, uh, I think that's why, uh, I think, I think it's difficult for a, a lot of, you know, high IQ people to be very success, to be successful and being an entrepreneur because you, uh, you have to multitask and you gotta, you gotta, you gotta move and move to the next topic, you know, but. Yeah, really good. So. I want you to give me speak to two different type of people that are listening to this. One, the entrepreneur that's building a business. They're in the grind. They're trying to grow. They're you 15, 20 years ago. And then the next one is the baseball coach, because you guys have not only built amazing baseball academies, but an amazing, you know, uh, travel ball program and, and some amazing teams there. So first, speak to the entrepreneur that's growing a business. What advice do you wish you had back when you were starting that you want to give to them today? You know, the, the first advice I give them is, first of all, you got to have a good good product, uh, and um, and then and then you got to have a good a good culture uh, um, uh, with your business, and 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 a lot of times it's not it's not you know inventing something or, or recreating the wheel, you know you can take what you know I feel like we took a, a complex product which you know baseball academies believe it or not they're complex and that's why that's why there's you think of every base, little baseball academy in your hometown, they've all shut down. Uh, there's a reason why, you know, we have 150 locations and, and, uh, and, and haven't had any closures. Uh, is, is we, we took a complex uh, uh, concept and we simplified it. And, and, and you know, uh, there's a, a kind of a, a, a hero of mine. My, it was my dad's boss years ago. It was uh, Art Williams. He's out of Atlanta, Georgia, actually. Uh, started A.L. Williams he, in, the, in the 70s, and, and he, he took on the billion-dollar industry of, of insurance. And insurance at the time was it was only whole life insurance, and he, he was the first guy that sold term insurance. And uh, he took a you know he took a he took a complicated product like whole life and made it simple with term insurance. And uh, and I, you know so I think that's you know something entrepreneurs need to really think about instead of you know, trying to invent something or create something. Um, and, and like I said, we didn't invent baseball academies. They were around before us, but we took a, you know, a, a complex company. And, um, and, you know, and at the time you had all these mom and pop stores, sporting goods stores, your local hometown sporting goods store where, you know, dad was sweeping the floor and, and daughter was working the cash register and mom was in the back pressing on numbers on uniforms. And uh, we took kind of two companies, baseball academies, and, and your hometown sporting goods store, and we combined them under one set of overhead, right? So you don't have two separate overheads, and it, it made it successful. There's, there's been other people who have tried to do certain things. I know Taco Bell and, and Kentucky Fried Chicken. I've seen them try to combine their stores, you know, and have one set of overhead. Uh, so, you know, as a young entrepreneur, think, you know, think about that. Think about how to take maybe two complex things and, and combine them. And, uh, and, and so they're profitable and, and, and make them successful. Great. 150 locations. Fantastic. Um, let's talk about the coach. You've done a lot of coaching yourself. Um, highly trusted and respected in that realm. We got coaches on this, whether they're a baseball coach or a basketball coach, whether they're coaching, you know, little league or high school or college. What advice do you have for coaches out there that are kind of leading the next generation? Yeah, you'd be hard pressed to find a human that's thrown more BP than me. Uh, you know, like I said, 12 years doing lessons, seven days a week, you know, seven, eight, nine hours a day. Uh, I, my advice would be a couple things. Number one is uh, if if you're coaching a team, you know, try to find 10 seconds uh, during that season to try to put your arm around every kid. 
and you know, let them know, let them know you love them and and and, and you believe in them, uh, even if it's the you know the, the worst player on the team. Uh, you know, try try to you know make a connection. I, I'm a running joke with my wife. I'm always the old man in the in the wedding. I've been in I've been a groomsman in more weddings than uh, I'd like to even admit. But there are always these young kids that I coached. You know, uh, but you know because you're 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 not just coaching and you're not you know it's not all about the win. Uh, you know you're 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 somewhat of a life coach to these kids and you're an impact on these kids' lives. So you know always try to you know. Find the time to put your arm around every kid and uh, let them know you, let them know you're 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 there for them and you're thinking about them. Uh, the second advice I would give, you know, mainly to you know coaches or instructors, is uh, you know make sure you check your ego at the door and you know just because something worked for you as a player, it does not it does not always work for the player. And there's so many coaches out there. I call them cookie cut coaches. They try to cookie cut. Every hitter, they teach the same load. They teach the same, you know, uh, launch, you know, uh, hand placement, launch angle of your bat. Everything's the same, uh, and and not everybody is built the same. You wouldn't teach, you know, Ichiro to hit like Mark McGuire, and you wouldn't teach Mark McGuire to swing like Ichiro. It would completely kill their game. Uh, so uh, you have to understand the body type of every player. Is he a leadoff guy? Is he a four-hole guy? Is he a, you know? Is he a first baseman type guy, uh, is, or is he a gapper? I call him gappers, you know, a doubles guy. Uh, and uh, and I used to tell kids every time I worked with them, the first time I worked with them, as I tell them, I say, hey, if I ever tell you to try something, try it a couple times. But if it's uncomfortable, let me know because we won't do it. Uh, you cannot hit if you're uncomfortable. Uh, I don't care what anybody says. So if it's not comfortable for the player. It's not going to work. I don't care if it worked for you, if it worked for, you know, Babe Ruth. It's just it, 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 every kid's built different. Every kid's swing's different. Every kid's uh, game is different. So, uh, you know, uh, uh, just like, you know, same thing in pitching. Every 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 pitcher's, you know, their their arm angles are different, and they're more effective at a certain arm angle, and it probably it might not be the arm angle you, you pitched at. So understand what your weaknesses and strengths are, and understand that every everybody's built different, every kid's built different, every all their mentalities are different. So you can't coach every kid uh, the same way uh, you were coached and the way you were successful. That's good, and I think both of those points, whether it was put your arm around somebody and let them know you care, and or you can't teach everybody the same way. That's whether you're leading a baseball player or leading somebody in business. And that was one of my mistakes, Kate, early on is I tried to make a bunch of Casey's out there because I knew if I could create other people that were as good as I was at this, we'd probably be okay. But I was doing it in a way where I was trying to put my own process on other people and it just didn't work. And that's where I had to learn that everybody's going to do things differently and how they're going to get there is going to be different. But as long as they get there, they get there. And I think that's one of the things that you taught me is just how to be a better leader, right? And you gave me so much really good feedback. And you were one of those people in my life that you knew when to, you know, kick me in the pants or pat me on the back or put your arm around me and say, you got it. I believe in you or figure your stuff out, get it going. Um, and I think everybody needs somebody like that. And just it's been super cool to see the business that you've built with DBAT, 150 academies, 25 years now. What's on the horizon, and then how does somebody learn more about DBAT, and whether they're looking to get into the business or visit a location? Talk about that. I, I, I'd like you to ask me that question again in a minute, but I, I want to tell a quick story about you, if you don't mind. Sure. Uh, you know, I, two, two, two things I remember, Casey. I, I remember uh, I remember telling you one time on the phone, uh, or, or no, actually, uh, you were you were uh, here at the office and. You handed me this this stack of papers and you said, "Hey, I'm putting this, you know, procedures and operations together for all the employees, some rules and regulations for them to follow. I would like you to take a look at it." And I, I you handed me the papers and I flipped them back to you and I said, "I got I got an idea, Casey. Why don't you figure out how to get your employees to love you first?" And uh, and I, I remember saying that to you and and uh, it was it was it was it was it was very interesting because I'll get to it in a minute that how much you know. You you changed. I mean, you you changed like dramatically over over a year period. And uh, another meeting, you came into Dallas and you uh, you were talking about you know how do I get memberships up? And you made this point a minute ago. 
and uh, and 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 you you were you're like I'm training these guys on how to sell it, and they sell it this way and do this. And I said, Casey, nobody's going to sell them as good as you are. You're you're the best salesperson I've ever met in my life. And why are you why are you trying to create another Casey? There's only one Casey, and no one ca- no one's ever going to care about your business more than you. And and you left that meeting. And uh, at the time, I don't, I don't know if you remember this, but at the time, you had about 186 members. You'd been open about a year. And within, it was the craziest thing, because uh, that, that meeting was actually uh, in March. Uh, by that December, and by the way, which is the slower time of the year for us, you know, this fall, that December, Brad Bronner, my right-hand man, came to me and said, hey, you're not going to believe this. Casey's at 500 members. You were the first academy to ever hit 500 members. And I said, what? I said, that's impossible. Uh, I just met with him, you know, six months ago, and we, we're in the slow season. He couldn't have grown 500 members in the slow season. There's, there's no way. And I actually, I don't even know if you know this, I actually told him to get on an airplane and get, get, get down to Buckhead. And I said, find out what they're doing wrong. They're, you know, they're selling these the wrong way. I had no idea you were doing it. And I thought you were still having your people do it. And I said, they're, they're, we're going to have a mass flux of, of, of cancellations because they're, 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 they're not selling these right because it's impossible to grow that much. And he came back and goes, nope, Casey's doing it. I said, Casey, is, he's, came, he's came downstairs is what he said. You know, you were upstairs managing everybody from the, from the upstairs office. He said, he's came downstairs, he's on the floor. And I listened to this bill, and he's he's the best. And I and I don't know if you remember this. I had you speak at our owners meeting the next year on memberships, and I, it was unbelievable. Uh, and I, 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 you probably don't know this part, but when I told all the and this was back when I only probably had about I don't know 25 locations, maybe 30 30 or 40 owners at the owners meeting, and I told them you were speaking, and a lot of my older owners were like, oh gosh, Casey's speaking, this young kid, what does he know, you know? And the next year, they requested me to have you speak again, and that's when they invited their GMs. At first, we didn't have our GMs going to the owners' meeting, and they were making their GMs film you uh, with their phones uh, because it was such a, a great spill on on the value of a membership and just you know your sales your you know your sales text. But anyway, I wanted to brag on you about that. It's just watching you grow over those years was just was was phenomenal. I mean, uh, you were. You were number one, I think, in every, you know, dang near every category uh, uh, for, for years. So anyway, I want to tell that quick story. You can go ahead yeah. and ask my ending question. No, no that's – I think the mistakes that I made in business early on in my career was I was the guy up in the owner's suite trying to tell people how to run their team when I never played the game myself in a lot of my businesses. So I think a lot of business right owners, a, a lot of leaders – they got to get in there. They got to roll their sleeves up. They got to do the dirty work. They got to learn it. But then they got to put the system in place and then teach it to somebody else to let them get the end result, but do it their way. And I just micromanaged a lot of people uh, because one, it had to be done my way or it wasn't good enough. And I think that was back Kate, to my identity and worth and value is even if somebody else was successful, I was almost mad because I'm like, well, why are they successful? Because that almost looked at me as, well, if they're good at it, then what's my value? Why am I even here anymore? And I would almost like blow things up just so I could fix them to feel better about myself. But once I realized like, all right, my identity is not of this, this DBAT, this is not my business. It's our business is our company. And I started putting my arm around my employees and my customers. And people always ask, do you miss DBAT? And I'm like, I miss the people. I don't miss BP or the cages or the, I miss the camps and the kids and the parents and the moms and the dads and the instruct, like that's what I miss is the people. And that's why I think what you've built is so special because it's so much more than just baseball. Um, and it's, it's really cool. So thanks for that, Kate. I appreciate that. And you were a coach and I needed that coach a few minutes in your office, right? Like impacted my life forever. So that's what I want to encourage everybody, whether you have somebody like a Kate in your life that can ask you the tough question, that can kick you in the pants when you need to be kicked, that can put your arm around you, have that. Um, so really special there. So DBAT, 150 locations, 25 years. What do you got going on? Well, uh, you know, our, 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 our biggest year was uh, 2019. We opened 24 locations, and I, I thought it was going to kill me. If you do the math, that's about one every week, every other weekend <laughs> opening. But um, – 
And, uh, you know, honestly, Casey, I thought with, with you know, with the interest rates uh, going up, uh, you know, uh, six or eight months ago and or a year ago and everything happening, I honestly thought things would slow down a little bit. But it's 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 really been the opposite. We've we've already this year. I just matter of fact, I was just I just counted them today. We've already opened up uh, 16 locations uh, this year. And the crazy number is we have 36 under construction, which means uh, they've already signed a lease and they're they're opening. And and uh, so we have 36 locations opening in the next uh, six to seven months. Uh, so we'll uh, we'll will over double our, our busiest year we ever had. Uh, I, and I will tell you though, the good news is um, it, it looks tougher on paper, uh, but uh, a lot of our growth has been internal growth, which uh, means that we, it's our you know, current franchisees opening up their second, third and fourth locations. And, and as you know, Casey, that's, that's easier growth for us. I'm not gonna say it's, you know, it's super easy, but they've already been through the process. They've been through training. They've been through the construction phase once. Uh, you know, a lot of times I kind of feel guilty. I'm like, hey, well, can, can you send me some pictures of the location? You know, they're like, no, we got it, we got it, we got it handled. Uh, and, I, and sometimes I've got to let go too, Casey. Uh, not trying to micromanage them because I'm like, yeah, they, you know, this is their third location they've opened. I, I'm, I, they're not going to make any of, any of those mistakes. I don't have to go over that. So, uh, so uh, you know, we've been we've been blessed that our our uh, a lot of our growth has been internal growth. Uh, so, uh, but you know. What, what does the future hold? I, you know, Casey, I, I, I never, be honest, I, I wanted to grow, you know, my original goal was to do six or eight a year. Uh, I, I wanted, you know, slow but steady and smart growth. And, uh, and, and uh, 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 but, you know, the brand has gotten, you know, just so big. And, uh, you know, we have, we have our you know, locations in China, six locations in China. And we have, uh, we're opening up our first one in Canada. I, 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 I honestly not sure that we're going to expand much more out of the out of the country, maybe other than Canada and, you know, a, a, maybe a, a, a few other smaller places. Uh, there's plenty of growth here in the United States where, you know, we're, we're not a McDonald's or a Subway where you can put one on every corner. So there is a limit to that. Uh, probably uh, that that limit in my, my calculations is around, you know, maybe uh, 350. Uh, before the market gets saturated, uh, but there's also uh, you know there's there's also booming towns that grow. I mean, the little town that I lived in six years ago had 6,000 people, and there's 48,000 people in it now, six years later. So uh, there's there's also new markets that that that, that, that pop up, and uh, and demographics may change in, in in some of our older markets as well. We have to move them. So, uh, uh, but you know, I, I, it's it's a tough question. You know, where you know. Right now, all we're trying to do is uh, we're trying to service our franchisees, put better systems together, which is you know something I learned from you, uh, and uh, and we've done a really good job of that. You know, COVID was actually a blessing uh, for that for us because we we hit the pause button and did not do any presentations, weren't weren't trying to open any stores, and we spent a year putting uh, our you know HR manual together and. And our getting started manual and our construction manual manuals together and putting our systems together. So uh, we want to continue to you know better our systems. Uh, we want to make sure we stay uh, uh, out in front of technology. Technology, as you know, has is, is, is gotten huge in this game. If you just watch a Major League Baseball game today, you'll you'll see uh, that technology is is a big part of the game now. So uh, you know I'm kind of leaning on my brother on that and. And a couple of guys in the office, Jake, who's sitting here with me today, uh, to make sure that we stay in the forefront of, of, of the technology side of the game. So, I mean, that, I, I hope that answers your question, but that's that's kind of what, where our mind is today. That's great. So, somebody's interested in visiting a DBAT location, how do they find one? Well, you, you can go on our website and click on locations. It's uh, dbat.com. And uh, uh, we have, uh, or, uh, we also have an app as well, a DBAT app. And uh, uh, we're, I believe, we're in around 40 states uh, right now. Uh, we're in most of the major, you know, major cities uh, around America. Um, uh, if they're, you know, interested in DBAT the business, there's a, a DBATfranchises.com is is our website that has a lot of, uh, you know, frequently asked questions and what we're all about. And, 
in a in a uh, and they can go on there and fill out a you know inquiry form and and uh, you'll be contacted within you know 24 hours from one of my three sales guys and then you then at that point we kind of bet you and then uh, if if you're vetted then you come into a presentation here at the corporate office in in Carrollton and and we uh, and uh, uh, after that if you're still interested in moving forward we issue the FDD and and we uh, and we start the real estate search and uh, start making sure that the location you're you're looking at is viable. So, uh, you know, that's that's kind of the process. This is great. Cade, well, thank you so much. Uh, super cool to see your guys' journey as a company. And thank you so much for what you've uh, met and done for me and my family. Uh, you too, Casey. And by the way, my wife says to tell you hi. That's what I was talking to you today. Give so. her a hug for me and give uh, Kyle a hug too, okay? Uh, Good to see you, buddy. Dugout Nation, wow, blown away by our time with DBAT Baseball and Softball Academy CEO Cade Griffiths. I personally love those baseball stories, but he surely dropped some amazing life and business lessons as well. Here are my big two takeaways. Business isn't a hobby. Hobbies are something that you invest time in, energy in, but ultimately they're to have fun and be fulfilling. But if you start a business, which should be a money-making venture, it shouldn't be viewed as a hobby. Don't have something else competing for your interests or your time. Especially if you're investing in somebody else's business, make sure it's their number one priority. And make sure if it's you or it's somebody else that you know that's building a business, you're going to have to live it. If it's something that you want to be great at, starting a business, building one, it has to be the top of your mind, something that consumes you. It's not to say that it should take precedent over family or other things, but at the end of the day, there's seasons. And when you're building a company and when you're in scaling mode, you have to have the support of your family, whether it's a spouse or those in your inner circle, because it's going to be a lot of early mornings and a lot of long nights. But if you have a solid team around you and lean on others who have been there and done that, you too can make it. And number two, Choosing the right business partners and key team members is key to growing your business. You have to like who you work with. You have to trust who you work with. But you have to bring somebody else in that brings something different to the table. Just because you have good chemistry and they're fun to work with, that doesn't mean they're the right person for you to help you build your business. Bring in other people that have different personality profiles, different skill sets, somebody that's already been there and done that. And if you choose the right people based on culture and skill set, you'll be in really good shape. Surround yourself with key people that have already been there and done that. They've built something that you're ultimately looking to do. And if you hire A players, you too will be able to make your business vision become a reality. Thank you for joining us once more for another episode of The Dugout CEO. We want to get you the tips you need to become an MVP of what you do. Sign up for our Friday Focus newsletter and you'll receive a valuable tip each Friday morning to help you build the business and life you want. You can sign up by going to CaseyCavell.com or click the link in the show notes. And make sure to hit the subscribe button so you get notification on our next episode. And one way you can help us book more great guests like this is to please leave us a rating and honest review in the Apple or Spotify podcasting app.